0: Welcome to episode 10 of That's All I Know, the podcast for the perpetually curious. Uh, I'm Danielle, once again with my mother. Good evening. Hello. We're in double digits. No, 10, yes, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like just yesterday, first episode. (laughs) (laughs) All three months ago. Your clue number 10, well, my clue number Mm 10, your clue number 9, I think. Yeah is bloody firsts, bloody firsts, um, oh, hmm, something about the first time someone got the head chopped off, or something like that, (laughs) it would be impressive to find that out, I think, (laughs) well, you know, I never doubt your uh, abilities, uh, no, no idea, no. I'm gonna tell you about blood transfusions oh okay so why did I go so gory I don't know first time someone got the head cut off okay so answer me these three things and see if you're as far off as I would have been right okay it's you know on House of Games that one that we're rubbish at because we don't know when anything happened we're playing that oh So when do you think the first animal blood transfusion was? Animal blood transfusion? Uh, I reckon not that long ago, in the sense of history and time. Yeah. I would say, um, 1960. When do you think the first animal to human blood transfusion was? Sorry, what now? Animal blood in human bodies. Yeah. Is that even the thing? Yeah. Well, that's worrying. Um, <laughs> I'd say that was probably way later than that. I'd say, like, 1985? You think of your lifetime? Yeah. When do you think the first human-to-human human blood transfusion was? Oh, I think that's older. I think maybe human-to-human. Hold on, do they even do that? Well, I could sit here, they take my blood, put it through the machine and put it into you in it. You know what a blood transfusion is. Oh, do you mean using the packets? Yeah. Oh okay, right, okay, just, fair enough. Just giving blood from one human to oh, another of course. human. Yeah, oh god, that I reckon that's much older then. So I'd say that was probably more like I'm gonna say nineteen hundred? Nineteen hundred. Something like that. Okay. You're further off than I was. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) The first animal blood transfusion was in 1665. As if that was, if that's, as if that's real. The first animal to human blood transfusion was in 1667. What? And the first reported human to human blood transfusions were performed by the Incas, and. Apparently witnessed by the Spanish conquistadors in the 16th century. Wow. But the first dated example and, you know, the first success in Europe was in 1818. Okay, so only, you know, like a hundred, not even 100 years away. I you were 300 years off with of the first two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. But then my question is this. How how did they figure out how to give blood from animals quicker than humans? I'll tell you. That's weird. Well, they use animals for experiments. Yeah. But what human's going to let someone experiment putting animal blood in them? I'll tell you. It's questionable. Yeah. Mm. So in the 1660s, Mm. we're talking about Richard Lauer. He was working at the Royal Society, which was, at the time, the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge, mm. if you don't mind. That's quite a fancy title, isn't it? Yeah. He was a doctor. He got his medical degree that same year that all this happened, 1665. Okay. And he was part of a research team at the University of Oxford. Hmm. He... Also cared for King Charles II. (laughs) Okay. And before she became queen, I think it was, um, he cared for Queen Anne during her pregnancies. Okay. A lot of the work that he did centred around the circulatory system and the nervous system, hence the blood stuff. Yeah. But he did... Lots of other stuff besides transfusions. Okay. He experimented with things like what happens if three of the four arteries to the head are tied? Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. He wanted to see if the blood still flows. (laughs) Yeah. He disproved the theory that mucus from your nose is just your brain overflowing. Okay. Because that's what they thought until then. Right, but he was like, no, 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 separate. It's a different thing. <laughs> it's not just spare brain. Yeah, he was the first person to notice the difference between oxygenated and deoxygenated blood. Okay, so just between the blood coming from your lungs and yeah, going out coming from the rest of your body. Yeah, if I was on QI right now, yeah, and I asked the following question, yeah. Do the sound if it's the right sound for what I'm about to say, right? <laughs> so, is that, um, did he discover then that your blood's really blue inside you? And it's red outside? Is that a wow, 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 Is it? I thought it's really blue, your blood inside. That's why your veins are that colour and stuff. No, your deoxidated blood is just darker red. Oh. Okay. It's... I've, I I read something one time that said, you know, they're all like, oh, royals are all got, they've got blue blood. Mm. And then I read, the, re- the thing that I read was like, everyone's actually got blue blood. It's only red when it's cut and it's exposed to the air. Everyone's actually got blue blood. See, I think, someone can tell us where I don't know. <laughs> I think that your veins look blue or green because of... Like diffraction or something through your skin. Oh. Okay. That might not be right. Oh, but you I to... could be right. I, I hope I am, but I don't know. <laughs> I definitely read that one time, because it was all to do with people saying about, you know, royals have always got blue blood, mm. or whatever. Oh, well. Anyway. So, alongside all that, mm. he became the first person to perform a successful blood transfusion between animals. Okay. In February 1665, he managed to transfer blood directly from one dog to another. Mm-hmm. And according to him, there was no sign of discomfort or displeasure okay. in the recipient dog. Mm-hmm. That was the questionnaire after the transfusion that the dog filled out, was it? No, he's not no. saying there was no <laughs> discomfort. There was no sign of it. Oh, Okay. It was, it wasn't a self-evaluation, yeah. <laughs> so because of that, it was a success, even though I think the donor dog died. Oh my god. How was it a success then? Well, because the one receiving the transfusion lived. Right, okay. But he obviously didn't master how much to take out of the donor dog. So they no, could so stay his, alive. His method was to just keep giving the recipient dog blood until it overflowed. Mm. Which sounds horrific. Yeah. But that's what he did. He then I hope the first dog, the donator, wasn't called Lucky or something. <laughs> I didn't see their names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He then went on to perform one of the first animal to human transfusions. Okay. He was the first in the UK, Mm -hmm. which was ambitious, but as I said, his motivation for it was very shady. Right. So this transfusion was performed on a man called Arthur Koga, and he was considered harmlessly insane. Oh, right, okay. Like they were in the day, back in the day. You know, otherwise described as eccentric. Yeah. They believed that either removing some of his blood or introducing new blood would help him. Right. They believed Mm. that exchanging blood could balance people. Right. So giving the blood of a livelier animal to a shy person would make them more outgoing. And giving someone the blood of a gentle animal would calm someone down. Okay. I can see the train of thought. But where's the proof? That well, anyway? that's what they're trying out. Mm. So they, with his consent, they did do this transfusion and they gave him sheep's blood. Right again was at the Royal Society mm. in 1667 he survived and he was given 20 shillings which is the equivalent of 173 pounds for his trouble in today's money <laughs> Okay, <laughs> for having shoes a 173 quid I don't think that's enough I mean he was putting his life on the line yeah so would you do that for 173 quid? Probably not. Mm. Mm. So that was the first one in the UK. The first one in the world was in France by Dr. Baptiste Dennis. Mm-hmm. Which again, I'm not French. I heard it pronounced about seven different ways. I'm calling him Dennis. Here's <laughs> another Royal doctor. Mm-hmm. He was King Louis XIV's doctor. Okay. He also attempted a blood transfusion between dogs before this, but he abandoned it so that he didn't kill either of the dogs. Okay. Like during the attempt, one of them was looking a bit ropey, so he stopped it. Right, okay. So he was beaten on that front, but he was first to do the animal to human one. Okay. So following his failed attempt mm. with the dogs, he carried out 19 more transfusions with dogs. They were all successful. Mm-hmm. So he moved on to transfusions between species. Okay. So he started with transfusion, transfusing blood from calves to dogs. Oh, I versa. Okay. He didn't go straight from sheep to people, like the other guy. No, he he Mm. did it gradually. Right, okay. So started with calves and dogs, then used cows, horses, sheep, goats. And then, on the 15th of June, 1667, moved on to humans. So Mm -hmm. the patient in that case was a 15-year-old boy who'd been suffering with uncontrollable fevers for two months. Mm. And he'd been treated with leeches by a barber-surgeon 20 times. That's too many times to have leeches on your skin. Yeah. Yeah. But they had done that, no success. Mm. So he was given 340 milliliters of lamb's blood. And... He was reportedly fine by the next day.
1: Cure I mean... Cured overnight
0: by lamb's blood. I mean, that's just a little over half a pint. Yeah. Which is not much. In the no. grand scheme of things, is it? No. Yeah. Mm. And he was cured overnight. Apparently so. Hmm. His second patient was a middle-aged butcher, whose name I couldn't find as well. All of these seem to be unnamed. I think it'd be an interesting thing to have any family tree. <laughs> yeah. Again, his one was successful, and he was apparently in high spirits for the rest of the day. But
1: that he might have been... Blood.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, But his mood might have been more to do with him going to the pub later. Definitely. <laughs> Third patient third time very unlucky <laughs> oh God, God. so this was Baron Gustav Bond mm. he was a Swedish politician do you reckon he turned up for the transfusion and went Bond Gustav Bond <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> I hope so I mean it's Bond with an E ah but, but that's the best in the, in the, the old, old days good. look you add an E to everything <laughs> didn't you <laughs> So he was given two transfusions. Mm. The first one was successful, but he was supposedly killed by the second one in Paris. Okay, were they on the same day? No, no, they weren't. Right. But my problem with this is that the very first transfusion with the 15-year-old boy yeah, was apparently on the 15th of June. 1667 right every record i could find of this guy says that he died on the 25th of may 1667 in hamburg but it's also everywhere that he was killed by dennis so i I don't know what the truth is i mean this is actually frustrating because it's one of those ones where it's just an admin error. Yeah, on something that's now caused a massive confusion, you know. And you see these on certificates all the time, and you think to yourself, at the very least, get someone's death certificate right <laughs> or their record of death or birth. Like if you get marriage ones, christening ones, whatever's, they're not they're not the person's life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's been loads of I've found loads of little errors on there, dates here or whatever. I mean, maybe it's. Maybe it was a different person, a different politician, maybe, that he killed. But it's just sort of trickled down from there. But Mm -hmm. those two things are everywhere, but also can't both be true. No. So I'm not sure which one is right. Right, okay. But in any case, why did he die of the second transfusion? Is it a different blood or...? Good question. All right. (laughs) Fourth and final patient, right, was not dubious in the sense of like we don't know whether he did it. He definitely did it, right. But there was some question over it. I mean, how did he get another patient after bumping someone off? Maybe he never bumped that one off. We don't know. Right. Okay. (laughs) Maybe someone does. I don't. I'm gonna find out. Yeah. this man was anton mori okay and he today would probably be said to have been suffering from psychosis okay but he was just the town madman at right, that time okay. yeah so he was abducted <laughs> he didn't he didn't ask to have a transfusion right he was abducted tied to a chair and forced to undergo a transfusion in front of an audience. Not too stressful, then? No, it's fine. Sounds like a good day to me. No? (laughs) I mean... Crazy business. Go on. This doesn't sound like a good day. After the transfusion, he suffered with fever, nausea, diarrhoea, nosebleeds, black urine, fever, tachycardia, and abundant sweating. Hmm. But before he recovered in the days following. <laughs> okay. And was he any better than he was before? So his sanity lasted two months. And then he started like drinking and smoking and stuff. So it all went downhill again. Right. And he ended up worse than before. So he had a second transfusion. Which, again, had some side effects, but it did ease his symptoms. Mm. Now, Dennis, (laughs) he didn't want to do a third one, but Maury's wife insisted on it. Right. So he did one more. Except he had to abandon it after he had a fit during the transfusion. And died the following day. The patient, not the doctor. Right. Yeah, the patient had a fit and then died the next day. Oh. But he hadn't been given any blood. Yet. We just had a fit. Yeah, so Dennis wanted to perform an autopsy. Right. But the wife said no. Hmm. Any guesses why? (laughs) I'm going to guess, I mean this is just a random one, Mm. but I'm going to guess she insisted on him having the transplant because she put poison in him and she thought if he does a transplant and pops it, no one will sort of... Transfusion? Yeah. What did I say? Transplant. Transplant. Oh, I'm getting ahead of my time, aren't I? Um, A transfusion and then something happens to him, they'll just think it's the transfusion and that's that. Exactly. Okay. Dennis was taken to trial over his death, but yeah, the investigation found that the wife had arsenic powder, which causes delirium and seizures. Mm. So Dennis was cleared, the wife was charged with murder. Um, But even though the transfusion didn't kill him, the judge in this trial, ordered him to stop his experimentations with blood transfusions. Oh. So in 1668, the French government and the Royal Society banned human blood transfusions. Hmm. Until when? They stayed banned for 150 years. Hmm. Well, I'm surprised they never went back to it before then. They weren't allowed. Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, that someone didn't argue it. Yeah. In that. Maybe they did and they kept saying, no. Maybe. In 1816. Okay. John Henry Leacock started experimenting again with blood transfusions. Yeah. He was from Barbados, but he studied and graduated in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, he wasn't, in the UK for very long, mm-hmm. just to get his degree. But he found through his experiments on cats and dogs that the donor and the recipient should be of the same species. <laughs> yeah. Seems obvious now, but mm. new discovery in 1816. Yeah. So he suggested that human to human transfusions should be attempted. Yeah. So he dropped that little suggestion and then left and moved back to Barbados. And it's recorded that he suggested that? Yeah. Somewhere. Wow, okay. Um, So yeah, he left that for other people to play with Mm. and play they did. Mm. So yeah, all of the ones before that that were given animal blood, Mm. they only survived because they were given that little amount. Yeah like he said what the boy was given wasn't much yeah if they'd done like a proper transfusion mm. they would all be dead yeah so it's 1818 18 now okay and enter james blundell he is an obstetrician and lecturer of midwifery and physiology okay. at guy's hospital in southwark he is the one that gets most of the credit, really, for human-to-human transfusions. But, at the time, he gave credit to Lee Cog. Okay. So it is, yeah, still noted that it wasn't all his idea. But he is the one that did it, so he gets most of the credit for it. Okay. He noticed that a lot of his patients were dying in childbirth of Mm. postpartum hemorrhages. Yeah. And having learned that animal blood wouldn't help, he thought maybe human blood will help. So he started carrying out his own experiments Mm. to find a way to help these women. Yeah. Yeah. So, his experiments again started with animals. And he was the first person to attempt transfusions using syringes. Right. What would they have been doing before then? It just directly from one to the other. Oh my God. Yeah. Just open both veins, get the blood in there. Terrible. Yeah. Or like, maybe use a little. Tube, but yeah, not yeah, not anything that you imagine as like a medical procedure. (laughs) Just carnage. But then, when were they still cutting people's legs off with saws and stuff? Weren't they early nineteen hundreds? Yeah. So this is quite advanced, really. Eighteen, eighteen. Yeah. Considering they were still doing things like that till nineteen, eighteen, or whatever. That's what I'm saying. I thought all of this stuff would be, like, late eighteen hundreds. Hmm. But no yeah so what he discovered in the process of all of this is that it's very important that you don't leave air in the syringe <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> 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 because that will kill people yeah and in 1818 after his experience with the animals he had enough confidence to go for the human-to-human transfusion. Yeah. So he performed the first one. He took 114 milliliters of blood, again, not much, no. from uh, this woman's husband and gave it to her via syringe. It was a success. I'm guessing at this point they hadn't realised... You might need to consider which blood type people are and all that. They had not, no, because between 1925 and 1930, he performed another ten transfusions, and about half of them benefited his patients. 1925, 1825, 1825, 1825, sorry. and 1830. Yeah, right. Okay. Did did they know these sort of sort of doctors and all the rest of it that that people had different types of blood at that time? Not yet. Well, I'm guessing that, yeah. In 1840, he assisted another doctor, well, a surgeon, mm. Samuel Armstrong Lane. Okay, of course. And they successfully treated a patient's haemophilia okay. using a blood transfusion. Right. Now this dude... was also an inventor. Okay. So he was the first to do human-to-human transfusions, so he had to make a lot of the equipment for it. Yeah. And some of that, or versions of some of that, is still used now. Okay. But in doing that, he, guess how much money he made? In today's money. By inventing stuff. By... Inventing the apparatus that he needed for these transfusions. I bet it weren't a lot. Go on. I reckon in today's money he'd have got, I don't know, something like 10 grand or something. 37 million? (laughs) What? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He raked it. Sheesh. Yeah. I sort of thought it wouldn't be a lot because it was new, so there weren't loads of call for it and blah blah blah. He made thirty-seven million. Well, I'm well off with that, aren't I? Ten grand. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a catch all of a sudden. Maybe. Now, other people obviously carried on the same thing. Yeah. Um, including patients of Sir James Young Simpson. Okay. And he loads of stuff about him him and Robert Liston and Joseph Lister all of them they did loads of stuff with like surgery and anaesthetics yeah. and antiseptics and all that and yeah. I could have gone off on loads of tangents with this thing but yeah. I decided to just stick to the blood but there's loads of interesting stuff about yeah. them I'll tell you about them after <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah Sir James Young Simpson, his patients in Edinburgh also benefited from blood transfusions around this similar sort of time. So, why did the previous ones fail? Blood type. Mm -hmm. And it was Karl Landsteiner that discovered that. He was an Austrian doctor, Nobel laureate. Mm. And he was also one of the people who discovered the polio virus, okay, because none of these people could just stick to one thing, <laughs> but you can imagine though that if there'd been nothing like this and they sort of come up with something, yeah, then they're going to go off on tangents. you could, what if that yeah, but what if that's connected with blah <laughs> blah blah, Oh, we should look into that let's look into that, All right you look into that, I'll stick with the blood for a minute. Yeah, I mean, when no one knows anything, there's a lot to discover. (laughs) There is. But he discovered in 1900 that if blood is mixed together, Mm. but from different sources, is mixed together, then sometimes the red blood cells clump together. Okay. And that can be deadly. And he also discovered that it doesn't always happen, so there must be some pairs of people or types of people that are compatible. Mm. And that led him to discover the first three blood groups, which he called A, B and C, because he's a sensible person, but are now A, B and O in 1901, okay? 29 years later he won the Nobel Prize for that okay well a bit late than never in physiology and medicine okay um yeah that seems quite a long time yeah later but think of the track record up and over the previous hundred years of how many creatures and humans have died as a result of all this they probably wanted to give it a minute yeah maybe maybe or maybe they had a backlog of people that were waiting on it before him (laughs) I mean, it was an age of inventing loads of stuff in Yeah. discovering loads of things about the human body and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there was like a list of them there to try and get through. No women on there, probably, of course, but, <laughs> you know. So the first person to make use of that information and perform a direct human-to-human blood transfusion, he forewent the syringes. Okay. Is that the right word? For when? Yeah? Yeah. He got rid of him. Yeah. He didn't bother with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh George Washington Cryle was the first person to perform a direct uh, transfusion okay. in Cleveland, Ohio. But using some of the equipment that the other guys in had 19. invented or? No, just Well maybe he did, but mm. yeah, his was a direct one. Okay. To just hook the two people up to each other. Seems bad. But, mm, yeah. That's where we are. In 1907, Jan Jansky also discovered blood groups by himself mm. in Prague. But he found four of them. Mm. Which he called one, two, three, and four. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, the former... Soviet Union states still use 1, 2, 3, and 4 okay. for blood types. But. So, what are they A, B? 1, 2, 3, and 4 are O, A, B, and A, B, yeah. respectively. So, we've got two different classifications of blood types yeah. now. And in America, we have Ludwig Hecton. He was experimenting with cross-matching, okay. i.e. testing the blood of the recipient and the donor to make sure that they can mix and yeah. don't react badly. Yeah. And that principle was first used by Ruben Ottenberg in New York in 1907. Okay. So they're all learning bits and borrowing from each other and testing it out in surgery and stuff. Mm. But so far, all of these have had to be done very quickly because they're not storing the blood. Yeah. They're either taking it directly from or, you know, just forcing it to go directly from one to the other or doing it by a syringe. But so that the blood doesn't clot, it all has to be done very quickly. Yeah. Which is a problem. Mm-hmm. The first person to try and solve that problem was John Braxton Hicks. You know, the contractions guy. Yeah. <laughs> Another obstetrician. Yeah. At St Mary's Hospital in Paddington. Nice. He tried to use sodium phosphate to stop blood from clotting, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. What did work was sodium citrate. And that sometimes is still what's added to blood. Okay. That was used by Albert Hustin in Belgium. And Luis Agote in Argentina. Both in nineteen fourteen. Okay. So say nineteen fourteen? Fourteen, yeah. Right. So I scoured all over the place. Mm. Just need time for World War 1. Exactly. Very lucky. Because obviously using that meant that blood could be drawn and refrigerated at the casualty clearance stations. Mm. You know, to be given to wounded soldiers. Yeah, And different countries had different approaches to it. So some countries uh, like took the blood from other soldiers you know mid-war yeah, um, and used that to give to other soldiers some countries had it like donated in advance and yeah, yeah people had different approaches but I'm going to say there's no screening going on at this stage though no? no okay so they could have had anything and passed it to someone else yeah right obviously it's not just soldiers that need blood. No. So all of this and the fact that it was successful in the war meant that people were looking at it for civilian uses. So in 1921, the first blood donation service in the world was set up by Percy Oliver. He was the Secretary of the British Red Cross. Okay. He was called urgently to arrange a donor for king's college hospital and was just like we should probably set something up for this yeah so he did he set up the london blood transfusion service okay which is now part of nhs blood and transplant Mm -hmm. but all of this was pre-nhs yeah so it was its own entity, but it was sort of free service. Yeah. Because, you know, emergencies and people yeah. dying. Um, so yeah, free service. In 1926, it was brought under the British Red Cross's remit. Yeah. But they worked out by this stage how much they could take from one person. So that they were still sort of conscious and able to get on with their day. Well... I don't know is the short answer to that. Mm. I didn't actually read anything about people being killed by them taking too much. Yeah. There must be times that that happened, but yeah. I didn't come across that. Okay. Um. But it seems like so far, all of the volumes that were mentioned were really small amounts. So I don't know if that's because that's all they needed or because yeah. they were trying to be careful because they'd seen that happen with animals. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure. Yeah. But that was set up in London and then it spread to Norwich, Manchester, and Sheffield. Okay. And then went international mm. to France, Belgium, Germany, Austria, Japan, and Australia. Okay. They all set up their own blood donation services. And our one. Became the National Blood Transfusion Service mm-hmm. in 1946, and it was the first national service in the UK. Right. Yeah. After that, all sorts of stuff was. Yeah, the NHS came the next year. Yeah. Hmm. 1947. 48? Mm-mm. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. I know. F- I know that it was the same year my dad was born. I will bet you right now. What do you want to bet? It was 1948. Want, I don't want to bet you. <laughs> but I will look it up while we're talking. But still, there's all there's all sorts of national stuff, like nationalised stuff. See, I told you it was 1948. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the fifth of July, 1948. Uh-huh. I, but I know I know that to be a thing though. Well, but anyway, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> There were experiments in Moscow Mm. with blood transfusions as a means to eternal youth. Yeah, but that ended in disaster when, after receiving eleven transfusions, I don't know. I don't know how many they thought you needed for eternal youth, but more than eleven apparently. Um, Alexander Bogdanov. Yeah. The Pioneer of this whole treatment. Yeah. He died from being given the blood of a patient suffering with malaria and TB. Okay.
1: Not so, so, much, not, so maybe
0: the eternal youth is that you die young from having so many transfusions that you don't look wrinkly at the time. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. But yeah. Clearly not good for him. No. Uh, they also experimented with using blood from. Recently deceased donors. Oh no! Yeah, that that never really took off.
1: <laughs> like yeah. even
0: even in the rest of the Soviet Union or wherever, it didn't. No one mm. else really wanted to mess with that. No. So nineteen thirty-seven to nineteen forty. Yeah. Karl is back. Apparently, he didn't like being one-upped. Yeah. With that extra blood group. Mm. So he, as part of a group, like and three other... I can feel what's got... coming next. What's coming next? He found out about the Rhesus negative and positive, didn't he? He did! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> well, I thought, if there's only four, where is he going to go with it from there? It must be something to do with that. Yeah, they found the Rhesus blood group, so the whole thing about positives and negatives having to match up, yeah, he was like, well, what else are you going to find? <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, no one's really found any more, have they? No. Mm. That's it, there are ones. That's that's all we need to know. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you all of how they match up. I don't think you care that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did used to know a bit about it, but for some reason it's kind of gone out of my brain, but it's something to do, you can have a positive of this one to match you with a negative of that one, right, or something. I mean I know for a fact that my one yeah mixes with everyone. Yeah. And that's why everyone wants it. Mine's negative. But it mixes really well, so they that's why they always want us as donors. Yeah, so mine can go to any positive. Yeah. But But mine not any negative. Yeah. Yeah, my negative can go to literally anybody of any blood type as well. Not just the type that I've got, but any type and any mixture. Mm-hmm. But I still think, I think when your are is negative, it's still a bit unusual to have that, even though it mixes with everyone, that's why they want us as well, because I don't know that that many people have it. I don't think, I think the actual blood type is common, but I don't know about the negative part. Mm. Um. Although I do know quite a few people, imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, elsewhere. you do. Yeah, I do know quite a few. Well, I know too. I mean, I will tell you. Oh, sorry. On, then. so if you have a is your blood type yeah then your blood has a antigens which are just little markers to say i'm an a yeah and if you're b then you have b ones if you're a b then you have both. both if you're o you have neither and that's why it became o instead of c because it became the null blood type as if right, okay. there's nothing there zero oh Oh. yeah, yeah and your body reacts to anything it doesn't recognize so Mm. if you're an A and you're given B blood then your body goes we don't know about B's and attacks it yeah and that's what causes it to clog and kills people yeah so if you're an A you can get A blood if you're a B you can get B blood if you're an AB you can get either a blood or b blood or a b blood yeah and any of them because o's don't have antigens for the body to react to mm-hmm. they can go to anyone and it just sort of goes stuff mode but isn't it only my negative o negative i don't think o positive can go to everyone can it no o positive can go to any positive blood group. right okay yeah yeah okay there you go mm. So at this point, all of the major bases are covered, but they're still perfect in the system. So in 1943, acid citrate dextrose. It mm. feels sciency, <laughs> Very rarely, but yeah. Um, a solution of that was introduced. And I think, you know, when you go for blood tests and stuff, the bottles that have like the little yellow caps on them. yeah, I think that's the stuff that's in there. Right. Okay. And that meant that they needed less anticoagulant. Yeah. That like they needed less of that than what they were using previously, which means they can obviously store more blood. Yeah. And that means you know they've got a longer supply, mm. and they can help more people. Yeah. In 1950, they started using PPC bags. Right. Before that, they've just been using glass bottles. Go away. What like milk bottles? <laughs> I don't think they tipped the milk out and put the blood in. Yeah, but I mean, similar to milk <laughs> bottles, like back in the day, you always had glass milk bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Which obviously were fragile. They can get broken. And then who's got to clean up the blood? I don't want to do that job. Mm. But yeah, they started using PVC bags. Okay. In. 1963 they found a link between the temperature of the blood used and surgery survival rates oh and basically if you give cold blood to someone it can give them a heart attack so they started warming the blood before they use it okay that's (laughs) massive just like a little toasty internal hot water bottle effect yeah (laughs) makes sense in 1979, another anticoagulant was introduced, which allowed blood to be stored for up to 42 days, which is what our blood people use, and most other blood donation services use. Okay. And in my experience, they do not need to store it for 42 days, <laughs> because you get the little text to tell you where it's gone. Where no, it's gone, yeah. and um, That's normally like a week later. Yeah. But they can, if they need to. They can start it for 42 days. Okay. And, yeah, at different points they've started screening for different things. Yeah. And obviously, some of the rules about blood donation are sketchy. Yeah. But Of who can and who can't, yeah. Yeah. But we're getting there. and you know in the course of nearly 500 years we've managed to go from less still a dog's blood to put in another one to yeah the blood systems that we have now yeah and that's all I know about the history of blood transfusions wow I mean you know it does take a while doesn't it to get there yeah I mean I suppose there's a load of technical stuff in between all of that like creating dialysis machines and, you know, all the things that they do mm-hmm. as part of that as well. Um But, yeah, I mean, you know, we're both blood donors and, you know, all of us are actually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's good to know that you're giving some blood somewhere because you might need it yourself one day, you know. Mm. So, yeah. I wonder how much sooner everything would have been discovered and developed and all of that if it hadn't been banned for 150 years well yeah or if they would have just kept killing people and not really discovered anything for a while Mm. who knows yeah true they'll have to find the alternate universe where the judge didn't ban it (laughs) (laughs) right i've got some facts for you now Order. So these ones are all based on the sort of, well, this one is um, the biggest, the longest and the smallest. Okay. So you've got to tell me which one of these you think is true. Okay. They are very massively, by the way. They're okay. not even related to each other in any way. <laughs> okay. So the longest running American TV show mm-hmm. is Law and Order. Right. Okay, the smallest person or smallest woman, should I say, Mm -hmm. in the whole world is sixty-five centimeters tall. Right. Okay. Which, if you think about it, in ruler terms, Uh it's just over two school rulers in length. Right. Uh Okay. And then the largest population. In uh, the world, mm-hmm. is in Tokyo. The largest population in a city is in Tokyo. Okay. So sixty-five centimeters. Yep. Yeah. Is just over two feet. Yep. Yeah. Now, I've seen the pictures of the shortest person and the tallest person. Okay. Is that the right height? Hmm. Where's that, like, two foot two? I mean, you're telling me to go from metric which should be what you know into old money which is what I know. Well yeah but you didn't teach me how I said old money. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean in new money. I didn't actually no. <laughs> okay, so it is um sixty three centimeters. Um sixty three. Did I say sixty three? Sixty five sixty five. Sixty five. Sixty five centimeters um I mean is yeah, because... 30 centimetres is roughly, like, a foot, isn't it? Uh-huh. So, yeah, so just over, two feet. Uh Does Tokyo have the largest city population? Is Law and Order the longest running TV show? I yeah. think that they're completely all over the place. Nothing similar to each other. So. Law and Order has been on for ages and is still on. Mm. I'm going to have to rush you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Japan is not the most populated country, so does it have the most populated city? I'm saying not Tokyo. Right, so now you're down to the TV show or the smallest woman in the world. I think... I don't think two foot two Is the height that I've seen when I've seen the pictures of the two of them. Okay. But then she is very small. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll go lower and order. We're going are lower and order. Okay, obviously you're wrong, <laughs> which is a delight to me. Okay, so the correct answer is Tokyo. Oh, okay. So in Tokyo, check this out, the 2021 population... Is thirty-seven million, three hundred thirty-nine thousand, eight hundred four people. That's a lot of people. It is. That's a lot of people in one city. Mm-hmm. Okay. The shortest. I guess... <laughs> I should have just oh, asked Frederick. <laughs> the shortest woman is sixty-three centimeters, and I don't know how you didn't realize that I'd messed that up. I mean, that did make me think maybe it's not that because you did say <laughs> different heights. Yeah, I so said sixty-five. Yeah. And the longest running TV show is The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Right. So The Simpsons has had 32 seasons. Mm -hmm. Law and Order Special Victims is next with 22 seasons. I mean, it's the best Law and Order. But But Law and Order itself is actually fourth or joint third on the list with only 20 seasons. Okay. So The Simpsons, 32 seasons. Right, but when did they start? Because surely the longest running is the one that's been on for the longest time. I don't think that's, that's what they mean the Simpsons... by it. I think they mean you know, like the amount of time that it's run for, as in, you know, like they might have a series of The Simpsons that are fifty weeks a year long, right? I don't know. Mm. So then it'd be that that length of time, isn't it, that yeah. that season? I mean, it probably is actually the longest in time as well. It's no good saying you know we we have two episodes a year for the last 50 years of something but i suppose that's still has it been on for 50 years well i suppose it has, you yeah. Go. yeah fair enough <laughs> yeah fair enough so yeah um <laughs> like is he sender's not one of our longest running shows because it's only one or no two series now oh yeah it's been going on forever but it's that would make it one of our longest running yeah it is yeah um yeah, so there you go. You didn't get it right at all, did you? No. Um, but neither did you, so that's fine. Yeah. So yeah, Tokyo's thirty-seven million. The second one after that is in Delhi, which is thirty-one million, mm-hmm. um, and then Shanghai, which is twenty-seven million. Mm-hmm. So quite quite big compared to some places, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. I love learning about blood and stuff like that. And I felt like I learned, I knew a little bit of it this week, which is always nice. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I'll have them other blokes to tell you about. Hmm. It's just it's so much stuff. It's like trying to find something to narrow it down to. Nice. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Okey doke. Thanks very much. Cheers. Um. If you enjoyed listening to this, you want to learn some more stuff, then. You can go and subscribe and follow us on Spotify or whatever podcast places, and on Twitter at T-A-I-K Podcast, on Instagram at That's All I Know Podcast. And see you next week. See you later. Bye. Bye.